Okay, welcome to Blackhawk Church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team here at Blackhawk Church. Welcome to those of you who are watching uh, on a screen and maybe another venue here at Brader Way, or maybe you're at the awesome Upper House, Blackhawk Downtown, or at Savannah Oaks Middle School, Blackhawk Fitchburg. Welcome to those of you who are with me uh, in this room right here, and those of you who are listening on a podcast. If you're part of our Blackhawk Chinese ministry, Di Zhongzimeg Ping An, and that's Mandarin for peace to all brothers and sisters. We are continuing in our series through the Gospel of Mark. We are calling this series the Unexpected Kingdom. And this message is the seventh in a 23-part series that we're going to go through all the way until Christmas. Then we'll take a month or so off, and then we'll come back to it, and the series will end on Easter Sunday. So uh, when the series started out, the first four talks, we covered one chapter in four talks. And uh, since then, uh, it's been my job on the teaching team to pick up the pace. And so that's what I've done the last two Sundays, and I'm going to do that uh, today. So I'm going to cover almost a whole chapter today, uh, chapter uh, four. So uh, get ready uh, for chapter four, the book of Mark. That's my intro. How do you like my intro? Is that good? That's my intro. That's what they don't teach you in school. Get ready for chapter four. Everybody turn there. Do it. Go. Pick your Bibles up. Turn to Mark chapter four. So if you haven't been uh, a part of the series, let me tell you what uh, you've missed so far. So uh, Jesus is uh, presented in the book of Mark, chapter one, uh, verse one, as uh, the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's come to rescue and restore the world, and he has a plan uh, for that. It's about the kingdom of God, kingdom of God, what we call kingdom of God 2.0. So his plan is uh, unexpected. So in Palestine in the first century, if you said kingdom, uh, they would have thought of King David. He was really good with a sword. They would have thought military, and they would have thought all of that kind of stuff. Palestine has been invaded by the Roman Empire, and they would think if you're Jewish, Well, the kingdom means that someone very powerful is going to lead us in a rebellion against these folks, and we will control our area. That's what they would have thought. And Jesus is presenting a plan that doesn't go along with their plan. So that's an unexpected kingdom that he's presenting to them. And the people that are rallying around the Messiah are not really what you expect either. So the Jewish people have been longing for the Messiah to come. They've been studying the Hebrew Bible, the law, which is called the Torah. They've been studying that. And people who really study that a lot, like the scribes and the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they were anticipating that he would come and really establish the kingdom. Now what Jesus is doing is actually offending them. They're the ones who should be on the inside, but they're fast finding themselves to be actually on the outside, people that should be on the outside, people who really can't read, people who kind of riffraff of society, those kind of folks, they are finding themselves gathering close to Jesus, and they are actually around him. So last week, when we were finishing chapter 3, we came to this very radical passage about people who should be on the inside or actually on the outside. It's about his family. A crowd was sitting around him. They told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him. Here are my mother and my brothers. 
Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Whoa, 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 whoa. Radical, radical, radical. So Jesus is saying, basically, even if you're born Jewish, you're not a part of the kingdom of God. Heck, if you're part of his family, you're not even a part of the kingdom of God. You're part of the kingdom of God if you actually follow him like he had those people around him. So this, this just blows up their concept. I mean, it's like it opens the doors wide open for, well, anyone, really. Heck, tax collectors could be a part of the kingdom. <laughs> Worse than that, the Romans could be a part of the kingdom of God. Oh, my gosh, they're like the enemy. So he's just blowing up their categories, like what happens if you put new wine into old wineskins. Just blows up their system. And that's basically what he's doing. So today we're continuing that theme in uh, chapter 4 with several different uh, parables. And these parables are basically about the fact that Jesus is not popular. He knows his plan is not popular. Three-fourths of the people he knows are rejecting his plan. But his plan, actually when it's received by people... Something mysterious and powerful can happen, and that plan will just grow and grow and grow and grow. And the amount of people who are going to be a part of his kingdom of God 2.0 is mind-boggling. Those are the parables we're going to look at today. Here we go. Parable 1 is the parable of the sower. Very famous parable. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large... Okay, we've seen that before. But he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. Okay, this is a very cool little detail that Mark includes here about the resourcefulness of Jesus. So first of all, let's remember where he is. So he is uh, at the Sea of Galilee, around the Capernaum area. So that is north of Jerusalem. And then he's very resourceful. There's a large crowd. We've seen that before. Now he wants to speak to them. And he's actually going to use the water. Listen, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been camping and uh, like you wake up uh, in the morning or maybe it's late at night after the waves have died down and it's real calm and uh, you can hear someone's campsite on the other side of the lake. Has that ever happened to you? Nobody's been camping before? So I've camped, and that is exactly, it's kind of like you can just, and they can be really far away. So that's something that happens. It's kind of, it has to do with physics, coolness of the temperature and the water and all that kind of stuff. So Jesus utilizes that because on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee, you have these little inlets. See these little inlets like that? And, and we don't know which one of these Jesus was at, but he was probably, this is near Capernaum, and he was in one of those. Here's another picture of one of these inlets. And then he gets in a boat, that's him in a boat right there, out there in the lake. Do you see that? <laughs> Just wanted to see if you were awake. So, so he's using it. So it becomes like an amphitheater. So he's, he's resourceful, and he's talking to a lot of people, and he's going to use the water to help his voice be amplified. Now he's speaking to a crowd. Here's the parable, verse 2. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, listen, the farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came 
and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is the parable of the sower and the seeds, very popular parable. In fact, in 2013, we did a four-part series just on this one parable, very popular parable. So the question is, well, what does it mean? The good thing about this parable is it's one of those uh, rare times when we don't have to guess about what it means because Jesus is actually going to explain what it means. And so like, awesome, that's awesome. But he doesn't explain to everyone. He only explains to the insiders. Because what we forget about this parable is this parable is a parable of judgment. I tried to use my voice to help you see that. Jesus intends for this parable to be harsh. It's judgment. Whoa. Where'd you get that, Pastor Chris? Oh, let's read on. Verse 10, when he was alone, the implication is later, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but, contrast, to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Why? So that. They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Stop. Like, whoa. It's harsh. Did you guys feel that? I'm intending to make it. It's harsh. Harsh. It's hard. So let's look at what he's doing actually here. Remember, now he's talking just to the 12 and the others around him. So it's not just 12. So it's like that uh, room that he was in at the end of chapter 3. There's more people than just the 12 around him. He's going to explain it to them. But to those on the outside, they should be insiders, but they're really outsiders. They study the Torah for a living. They know the Hebrew Bible like the back of their hand. They should know totally who I am, but they do not know who I am. So I give it to them in parables. Why? So that they will be confused and not understand. Otherwise, they'd be forgiven. Now, that just sounds so harsh. So if you notice in your Bibles, that's all in quotes. So he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. And he's quoting the prophet Isaiah from a part of the book of Isaiah where Isaiah is basically told by God, now you need to be harsh with these people because I have done all of these things for them. I have brought them one miracle after another, one prophet after another. And what do they do? They just kill my prophets. They do not listen to me. So you bring them this word, and it's a harsh word. And we have a tendency 
to think, well, this is unfair. Doesn't God want everybody to be forgiven? This is almost like what we saw in chapter 3. It's like the unforgivable sin. God has given these people that are in front of Jesus lots of opportunities. They have seen his miracles. They have seen him do things, and they go, oh, yeah, that's of Satan. And it's just like, well, you don't say that. So I'm going to speak to them in parables. I'm like an Isaiah, and I'm delivering judgment to them. And he knows that most of them reject him anyway. That's what follows. Verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop some 30, some 60, some 100 times that what was sown. How many seeds, you guys? The answer is? Just a second. <laughs> There's different kinds of people throwing different kinds of seeds. How many different kinds of people does he throw in the seed to? That made it a better question. How many different kinds of people? Good. Only you guys got that over here. So four. Four. How many... When they hear something happens and doesn't germinate, it might produce something for a while, but it's really not producing a crop. How many out of the four? Three. This is a parable about the fact that as I'm speaking, as the Messiah is speaking, people hear three-fourths of them. It doesn't go anywhere for them. That's what he's saying. Only a fourth of the people that receive this. Did you notice the emphasis on the word hear? I mean, hear, it's four times. In verse uh, 15, hear. 16, hear. In verse 18, hear. Verse 20, hear. So it's about the receptivity of the soil or the receptivity of the hearer, the listener. And Jesus has been proclaiming and he has been teaching. He didn't just show up. He's been doing this for some time. Three-fourths of the people that he's presenting the plan to, they reject him. And Jesus knows that they reject him. Only a quarter receive what he's actually saying. So let's do some lessons for our lives right away before we kind of move on to the next two uh, parables. Here's one lesson for our life from this parable. It's okay to be different, to not go along with the majority. Do you guys see where I get that lesson? So a quarter of the people are going to hear, but three-fourths of the people, and it's kind of, this is okay with Jesus. If Jesus was depending upon a democracy, like to vote him in, well, good luck with that. 
because he's he's minority. He knows he's in a minority. And so for us, it's okay for us to be different. And I just thought as a pastor, uh, one of the pastors on the teaching team, I just remind us we should be fine with being in the minority. It's like okay. It's like a Jesus thing. We live in a world where um, there are dominant cultural narratives. And if you're a follower of Christ, you should have some dissonance between you and some dominant cultural narratives that are out there. You should go, well, I don't think I believe that, actually. And in, in our city, you're going to be in the minority. And that's okay. Let me give you an example. Here's one dominant uh, cultural narrative. It goes like this. Well, hey, listen, you can believe whatever you want to believe. That's okay. And that's, that's true for you. It's your truth. I don't believe that. I believe something else. That's my truth. Whatever's true for you is true for you. Whatever's true for me is true for me. That's just the way truth is. How many of you have ever heard anything like that? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. All sites and venues. Yeah. So it's a, that's a dominant narrative in our culture today. So truth is determined by individuals. That might be true for you. It's not true for me. Whatever's true for me is true for me. It might not be true for you. It's de- I determine what is true. It's a dominant cultural narrative. There's a history about how that came about. It's not always been that way. Christ followers go, oh, nope, 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 nope. We actually don't believe that individuals determine truth. We actually believe that we discover the truth because we actually believe this is the truth. We actually believe that there's a God and he actually exists and he has spoken into the world, and he has revealed himself both in nature and in the word, and we can learn more about him as we study nature and the word, and we discover truth by reading the word. That is a complete minority position in our community, total minority position. The dominant position is, no, 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 no. Well, you can believe that. That's fine. It's how you determine truth, but I determine truth in a completely different way. There's a big difference, you guys, between saying an individual determines truth and you discover truth. If you believe that individuals determine the truth, then you just get enough individuals to get on your side and you get a majority. You can vote, you can, you can vote a whole race out of existence, a whole sexuality theme out of existence. You can do whatever you want because you've determined what is true. Christ followers go, no, no. We know we're a minority. I know this is a minority view, but we actually believe you can discover truth. Now, some of you may find yourself here at Blackhawk, and you're listening to this talk, and you go, I think he's just gone off the rocker right there. That's just crazy. And you're kicking the truth claims of the veracity of Christianity, and I'm going to say this to you. Welcome. Welcome to Blackhawk Church. We're so glad. So glad you're here. We want you to be able to ask serious questions here at Blackhawk Truth about this, about God and all this. But I would say to you, you have three or four compelling questions to ask. And then you're probably asking those questions. Here's the first compelling question. Is there a God? (laughs) That's a big question. Is there a God? Second question, has he revealed himself? And then third question, is this his revelation? So if you're a Christ follower, you go, yes, there is a God. There's actually good reasons to believe there's a God. Yes, he has revealed himself in nature and in the word. And yes, we do believe this is his revelation. And we discover truth this way. You may not agree with that. But here at Blackhawk, we know we're in the minority. 
And we're fine with that, actually. Second lesson for our life. Uh, don't choke. Don't choke. Now, here at Blackhawk, we talk about how powerful the Word of God is. I just kind of talked about that. But did you notice that there's something that can actually choke uh, the Word in his uh, parable, that symbolic parable of his Word? Did you notice that? Look back at the parable. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the Word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and, what does that say? Choke the Word, making it unfruitful. There's things in our life that can actually choke the word. What are those things? Look at it again. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, desire for other things. Now, let me just be as loving as I possibly can. This is a harsh parable. It's a judgment parable. And I want to be as loving as I possibly can be. Many of us... Um, our diet of Christianity is maybe listening to a talk five, ten times a year. Maybe you're listening to a podcast right now. We're like never in the Bible on our own. We're just like, feed us, pastor so-and-so. How is that working for you, actually? Do you feel like your spiritual life is like fruitful and thriving? Well, it might be that things are choking, choking you. Things can choke you, you know. Let's look at it again. How are you doing with the worries of this life? How are you doing with worries? Do the worries of this life, do they drive you to prayer? Do they drive you to meditate? Do they drive you to the word of God or do they just drive you to worry, 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 worry? How are you doing with that? But the deceitfulness of wealth. Wow. I love that phrase, deceitfulness of wealth. If I just had a little more, then I'd be fill in the blank. You guys, if Jesus is not Lord over your money, he's not Lord over your life. Right? I mean, you think, oh, well, no. He's Lord of my life. He's not Lord over my money. Well, that's not. Uh, that's obvious, Right? Or you've been, someone's deceived you. How about the desire for other things? Is your desire, your passion, your vision, your passion for your life, is that greater than for the kingdom of God? If so, you're in danger of having other things choke the word out of you. I'm trying to be a prophet right now. This is what Jesus is doing in this parable. It's harsh. You get it. If you want to follow Christ, it's like tending a garden. You just plant the seeds and let it go. No, no, no. You guys, it takes a little work to do a garden. Or it's like being a musician. You just, the beautiful music's just going to come out. No, you need to get to practice. Or it's like being an athlete. You've got to work out. You can't just say, well, watch me. From time to time, uh, I like to shock everybody by telling people I used to be a gymnast 20 pounds ago. And uh, I have this uh, athletic background. And when I was a, a gymnast, I used to teach all kinds of kids gymnastics. And uh, I probably taught a thousand kids. And one of the things that people, kids, usually girls, always like to learn was the splits. 
Do you want to see me do the splits right now? Yeah, well, I can't, okay? I've not been in practice for like a long time. And I would say to those kids, I say, you come to class three times a week and you work on the splits only for 15 minutes in class, you will never get the splits, ever, ever. You have to work on them all the time, all the time. You come to Blackout Church five, ten times a year and the extent of your Bible study is what you hear in the talks, you're not going to grow. You're not going to grow. You won't be fruitful because other things are coming in and choking. They're choking. You don't need another class. You don't need us to do anything. You have the word. You need to open it up. You know how to pray. You need to do that. You need to be like a musician or a gardener or an athlete. You need to step it up a little bit. Let's see. Soil's parable. When we read it, it should feel, oh, oh. The next parable is about a lamp, and because of the time, I'm going to skip that, and we'll go to two more parables, parables about a seed. Mark 4, verse 26. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. I love this parable. This parable is about mysteriously, wow, (laughs) mysteriously, this seed just grows. And all by itself, it just grows and becomes really, really huge. It reminds me of a tree that I have in my backyard. Here's a part of my backyard. This is a poplar tree in my backyard, and that's, those are not weeds. That's my rain garden. My wife calls it a weed garden. I call it a rain garden, and it's filled with uh, native species that used to be all over this area before it was uh, kind of conquered by Europeans. So, and that poplar, I didn't plant. It is a volunteer. <laughs> a seed blew in, just like in the prairies uh, that, that all this used to be. And a seed blew in, and it just grew, grows and grows. It knows anything about trees in North America. That's one of the fastest uh, growing of all uh, trees. The maple to the right, I planted, and now that poplar is just about as big as that maple. And it grew all by itself. That's what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is it starts small, but mysteriously, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this thing is going to grow and grow and grow and grow, and it's going to be huge. And it happens all by itself. It doesn't happen by the work of humans. It happens by the power of the Spirit. And so it gets big. That's the next parable. Verse 30. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parables shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many 
similar parables. Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the mustard seed parable, and I love it. It's the smallest of all seeds. Now, stop. I know there's some horticulturists in the room who go, well, actually, it's not the smallest. Back off. Back off. Okay. (laughs) The Bible's not written to us, right? It's written for us, not to us, to these people who he was actually talking to. It was the smallest seed that they could think of, and it was very concrete. And heck, he probably had like a mustard tree around him as he's telling. I could just picture him with one of these like right behind him. And he's like saying, it comes out of a little seed right here. And then it grows into be this big, massive, these mustard like bushes or trees. They're like, they're like aspen or something. They just grow and grow and grow and they're connected. It's just like unbelievable. And they get huge. What he's saying in these parables is that my plan is going to be rejected by three-fourths of the people. A fourth of the people are going to kind of accept it. But the seed that I'm planting, oh my goodness, the amount of people that's going to come from this by the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be beyond what anybody in Palestine can even fathom. I know it starts out small, two disciples, four, six, eight, twelve, but then it's going to grow and grow and grow, and it's going to spread all over. I want to show you a video that the people at InterVarsity made several years ago, and it's going to be very fast-moving, has lots of data, but it tells us about the growth of Christianity over the last hundred years. Watch this. In 1900, 68% of all self-described Christians lived in Europe. 14% in North America. 11% in Latin America. 4% in Asia. 2% in Africa. By 2000, 28% lived in Europe. 24% in Latin America. 18% in Africa. 16% in Asia. 13% in North America. As these changes continue, by 2025, 25% of all Christians will live in Latin America. 24% in Africa. 21% in Europe. 18% in Asia. 11% in North America. 11% in North America. Here's the deal. When I talk to uh, many people in the Midwest, people think of Christianity like this. Well, there's not that many in Dayton County, and, you know, really, it's not doing well all around the world. It's like that. Look through a little tube like that. No, 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 you just need to blow that up. You just need to blow that up. Because Christianity is growing, and it's massive, and it's growing all kinds of places. It might not be growing massively in Dane County, but you need to understand what's happening globally. It's huge. And it's not white and English speaking. It's many languages. And brown and black. It's all over the place. More than half of the people who've ever been Christ followers, self-identified, are alive right now. More than half of all Christian adherents in the whole history of the church have been alive in the last 100 years. Close to half of the Christian believers who have ever lived are alive right now. Mark Knoll, who's a historian from Notre Dame. It's a great quote. Somebody say amen to that. See what's happening? As the population goes boom, 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 
and uh, communication gets different, technology gets different, travel gets different, the gospel goes everywhere, and it's just flourishing in all kinds of places. We have an intern on our ministry team called Martin Chan, and Martin is an intern in multicultural ministries. He's a great guy. He sits in on all the teaching team uh, meetings with us. He's taught in Blackhawk Chinese ministry. Let me show you a picture of Martin's church in Hong Kong. This is a 19-story building. This is dedicated to that church. It's an evangelical free church, you guys, in Hong Kong. Weekend attendance is 10,000 people. It's funny because sometimes people uh, look to Martin and go, man, Blackhawk's a big church, isn't it? He goes, hmm. <laughs> yeah, because he's kind and humble. He doesn't, like, he doesn't like say, you guys have no idea. He's just like, mm, yeah. Not so much, actually. No, no, there's, there's really, really huge churches in the world, you guys. And the gospel is thriving. Uh, one pastor named Paul Young E. Cho uh, started a church in Seoul, Korea. Here's a picture of their auditorium. Uh, this is from Wikipedia, so I don't know when the picture was taken. So their weekend attendance at this one church is 200,000 people. They have 800,000 members at this church. That's way bigger than Dane County, you guys, that go to one church. That's a, that's a mustard tree that is like, whoa, 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 whoa. And the people in Palestine, they wouldn't be able to fathom, fathom what's going to happen from the little tiny seed. It's just two people, then four, and then boom, boom, boom. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Next week, uh, we're going to uh, be able to uh, learn more about the church in Bolivia our uh, director of impact, Susan DeMell, will interview uh, one of our partners down there with Food for the Hungry, uh, Juan Pablo Belamonte. And uh, it, it'll be visible at all sites and venues, but he's going to be uh, here physically uh, in, at the Brader Way site in 1045. You can visit with him to learn about how the church in Bolivia is doing in our partnership uh, with them. When I think about what has happened uh, to the church, it has just grown just unimaginably. And it just makes me want to praise God. Paul was doing the same kind of thing when he was writing to the people of Ephesus. And he, in the middle of that letter, he said this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Everybody said, let me leave us in prayer. Father, we thank you for what your spirit can do, not by the power of human beings, but by the power of your spirit, as your spirit moves in, in hearts and minds of people all over uh, our state, all over our nation, all over the globe. We just praise you for all the brothers and sisters that we have. And we, we pray too, Father, that you would help us to be people who are okay and actually delight in being in a minority, that we would be people who in a loving way stand opposed to dominant cultural narratives that are in our world today. Help us to be loving as we do that. We pray, Father, you would help us not to be deceived by the world and have your word choked out of our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. For the sake of his reputation, all God's people said.